On behalf of Hospice of Piedmont, welcome back to the E-Series, an educational podcast aimed at engaging our community, exploring relevant topics, and educating about ways to connect with our organization. Funding for the E-Series is provided by the Dr. John A. Lusk Fund for Hospice and Palliative Care Education. My name is Ryan Biagini, and I am your host. Today, we conclude our discussion, the intersection of faith and health in the community between CEO of Hospice of Piedmont, Trent Cockrum, and Reverend Lamonte Williams, Community Liaison and Outreach Specialist with the Wake Forest School of Medicine's Maya Angelou Center for Health Equity and the Alzheimer's Research Center. When we last left them, Trent and Lamonte were discussing the role of the local pastor and the many hats he or she wears, from spiritual leader and social influencer to grief counselor and health advisor. As they continue the conversation today, they'll unpack the relationship between the pastor and his or her congregation as well as the challenges facing the local church today regarding physical, mental, and spiritual health. Let's rejoin the conversation. As I think through some of the other things that I think might be really important, um, you know, I I watched in my life um, pastors, and I think you really hit on this uh, in some of the, the, the comments you made earlier, um, feel the weight of being all things to all people. I think you, mm-hmm. you couched it perfectly well that um, pastors have a have to have a work life balance. Mm-hmm. They can't be all things to everybody all the time because you've got a family and you've got responsibilities and you've got a life and you too want to have fun, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's not it can't always be just about work, but but you're part spiritual advisor, part health advisor. Can you talk a little bit? more pointedly about as it particularly as it relates to this shift in influence about how um, that affects the well-being of the congregation but also the faith leader yes and so it is an immense uh, responsibility it's a burden of responsibility in many ways um one i'm very blessed I, i count myself very privileged that i'm a trained minister and in that training one of the things that i found to be most rewarding was um, I, I came to develop uh, this concept called a, a Walmart pastor. And uh, this concept, when you go to Walmart, you listen, if, if you need clothes, they have it at Walmart. If you need a tire, they got it at Walmart. You know, if you need, um, you know, medicine, they got a pharmacy at Walmart, right? Mm-hmm. And if you just need to hang out, they even got people, they just go there and got little areas like at McDonald's and some Walmart, they just go there and hang out. And so this whole concept has played out really particular in the African-American community. As I just said, uh, when you go to the African-American community, you know, that the pastor is that trusted voice. But the challenge with that, what I learned from my training is you have to know when to refer. I can remember um, uh, one of the most uh, uh, permeating examples was I had a parishioner uh, who had uh, a mental illness. And I, I shall never forget this because uh, when when the parishioner said to me that they 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 wanted to just meet with me, they met with me. But the but the more I talked with them that day, the more I realized they needed help that day. I did not need to let them leave my office with anything other than a referral. And so I said 
uh, to the parishioner, is it possible uh, for me to place a call to the hospital uh, right now to, to get you admitted? Uh, now, obviously, you know, there's some challenges with privacy and things of that nature. And so, uh, you know, I put the parishioner on the phone and they worked with them, got them uh, the, the services that they needed. But, but that taught me that, that in this role as a faith leader, you, 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 you are taxed with uh, trying to be all things. But I say the caveat is, even when I referred her, I said as the pastor, can I go with you to the hospital? Right. And so therein is that tiered support where you're still trying to maintain your obligation. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I know some of my colleagues who struggle with this concept, like they would have continued to talk with her and then sent her back home. But the reality was she was at a point where she needed services right then. So for example, that's a mental health issue. But if I know that I'm not versed uh, in health and wellness, wouldn't it be better for me to partner with somebody like the Maya Angelou Center who can inform and educate my ambassadors to be able to further inform my congregation? And so for me, um, the challenge is it's, it's, it's a healthy balance uh, but what it's what we call in ministry, the weight of ministry is being able to figure out how to get that person what they need and still be able to be that pastoral presence. Because let's be clear about it. That person that went to that mental uh, health uh, ward, it was a scary it was a scary experience. But having your pastor there. Uh, it demystified some of uh, the circumstances, if nothing else, knowing you're not there by yourself. Sure, I think it it always helps to have a to have a leavening effect, right? A, a normalizing uh, force that helps you know that, to your point, that you're not doing this all on your own, but that you have the support of others, and particularly in the case of mental health, so that it is not a, it is it is not a stigmatizing situation, right? And not a not a not a sense of a feeling of brokenness, right? Um, which which is as much a spiritual consideration it is as a as as it is a psychological consideration, particularly in the context of health and well being. Um, you know, so so how you know when you think about going back to your congregational health ambassadors um, and creating a network of folks who have tremendous knowledge that are accessible to your parishioners. How do you go about um, pushing that out in your congregations? And what, I guess more specifically, what's been the response of the congregations that you've been working with that have this concept? Um, my um, response that I have seen has been overwhelming in support. What I have found is that these um, Congregational health ambassadors have been a game changer in health equity in uh, the faith community because mm -hmm. it's a it's a bi, if you can just imagine it's a bi-directional imagery. So you have the the Maya Angelo Center saying, "Here's our strength. You want to know about mental illness? We've got experts at Wake Forest." 
you want to know about uh, healthy eating, we have dietitians who are sitting on R for ready, just waiting uh, to go into the community and give you whatever it is you need. And right. then you have the ambassador who, who takes that initiative <clears throat> and then takes it back to the local pastor who says, yes, this is exactly what we need in our own particular congregation, right? And then it can work the other way where the pastor says, listen, I see in our community that there is this growing um, uh, challenge around cancer. And so the pastor talks to the ambassador and the ambassador reaches back out to the My Angelo Center. And we then can be that conduit to provide those experts, that information, those resources, and then channel that back to meet the need of that local pastor. So we found um, immense uh, support. Matter of fact, uh, just recently in the Triad uh, Pastors Network Ecclesiastical Council meeting, one of the pastors uh, said that what we need is um, some COVID education, but we want it in uh, short clippets short snippets so we can decide how we can use it. And so from that, we, we, we got uh, that process. And guess what? We were able to provide COVID education through videos, through uh, short documents. Uh, and then also to say to the pastors, uh, we actually have, <clears throat> excuse me, a grant uh, where we can actually empower you uh, to go and do uh, COVID education. Uh, so it all goes back to this bi-directional uh, concept. You know, the, the pastor looks over the congregation, identifies a need, works through the ambassador, and the ambassador is partnered with the, uh, the Maya Angelou Center. Sure. You know, I know from our own perspective at Hospice of the Piedmont, we're so very fortunate to work with uh, folks at the Maya Angelou Center, Dr. Bird and others, um, you know, to again to bring relevant education so that so that the the center itself can leverage the, the entire assets of an entire community for the benefit of of a smaller subset of the community um, or or targeted uh, populations within the community. So um, I, I really applaud you for work on that. So you know, as we as we think about um, a few of the most I'm interested in a, a few of the most common concerns or hot topics that you sort of think about um, or that, that your Triad Pastors Network has identified um, that is affecting their churches right now today. I, I suspect uh, you've sort of hit on a couple of them. Uh, getting information in digestible format is probably mm -hmm. one of them. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and, and I suspect we're all, uh, you know, we're doing this this uh, this podcast discussion. Uh, I'm in an office in High Point, and you are in Winston Salem, um, and so we're doing this virtually. I suspect that there is a bit of virtual burnout. But what are some of the other things that you know are really facing uh, challenges that are facing congreg congregational leaders today? Yeah, and so uh, we actually did an interest um, um, survey with the uh, Triad Pastors Network. And, and I can tell you that, um, that there were, were many topics that they raised. They said that uh, there were several, but I wanted to tell you at the top of the list was mental, mental health. And um, I thought it was right on point uh, when you consider the number of um, 
things that um, pastors are dealing with, as well as the communities are dealing with. Um, everybody now is tasked uh, with this uh, mental health uh, challenge, trying to find that place of peace uh, within. And uh, what I found out was uh, not only do they did they have um, a mental health, uh, they also talked about uh, death and dying. I was very surprised um, at that being a topic because uh, the reality was uh, we had a lot of pastors uh, who said in no uncertain terms, you know, they were just burnt out with going to the cemetery. I mean, this uh, I, I spoke to a pastor just this week and he said to me, uh, you know, um, hey, look, uh, can I get back, which I was asking him for a request. He said, I got three funerals this week alone and, and they're all COVID related. You know, when you when you're dealing with those types of things. And so, you know, the, the, the notion around death and, uh, and, and dying is, um, is, is, is very taxing. Uh, death is, is a whole, as I'm, I'm preaching to the choir, as you well know, uh, but, but it is a very, um, very broad, but personal conversation. Uh, and so I, I can tell you that it's on the mind of a lot of congregants. And then just let me say, um, one of the pastors in that, uh, session said, well, it's a challenge because you don't have the traditional funeral. Like the pastor is now tasked with going to a graveside and trying to still make it personal. Um, you know, where you used to would be able to go inside of a um, facility, typically a church, uh, and be able to offer some type of celebration uh, for the person or the deceased. And so, you know, those are some of the, the challenges. And then I can also tell you uh, that there are other challenges, believe it or not, around pastors were saying uh, healthy diets, because we know that if you have a healthier diet, there's nothing adverse about a healthy diet. And so uh, it can only serve to be beneficial. But what, what, what pastors are saying is that they need more information on not the what, but the how to. So it's not just enough to say eat healthy, but it's taking that conversation to the next level and say, these are the six basic steps to a healthy eating. Or uh, the other thing, uh, believe it or not, I, I was very moved around Alzheimer's. There was a, you know, the Maya Angelou Center has a, a arm uh, around Alzheimer's as one of its uh, tenets. And so, um, but, but I found that there were a lot of interest in people saying, can you send us information? Can you provide us uh, town halls? Can you give us um, workshops that that we can have, and because the truth of the matter is, uh, African Americans are two to three times more likely to develop this disease, and so it just makes sense that they're seeing that play out in the congregations. Like mm. one pastor that I'm working with right now, he says on both sides of his family, his mother and his father-in-law. So you can just see just how personal uh, those type challenges are, you know, in our community. Sure. No, I can I can appreciate that. And I think, you know, the more we can sort of normalize these really difficult conversations among congregants, among a community in general, uh, serves us to to improve the health and well-being of everybody around us. Because mm -hmm. uh, we know that health affects not just the individual, but also everybody 
you know, really around them. And exactly uh, right. <laughs> yeah, health is a health is a family can uh, can health is a, health and well being is a family condition, not just an individual condition. Um, yeah. You know, in in one of the things that I think is so uh, important um, in in sort of normalizing these conversations is this recognition um, that thinking about something related to death and dying is that there is this there is this constant push and pull. Uh, to use a term related to, I understand that this is the sort of, sort of the path that I will take in life because we all die. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but reconciling that with my spiritual beliefs and the scientific considerations related to the, the medical treatments of how that will look and feel for me, sort of live in, 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 in some sort of intrinsic conflict, right? Um, and so I see the role um, of a congregation leader as sort of helping bridge that and helping people make, uh, to use a term, a, a way forward for the congregate for the congregant um, in in navigating that that difficult balance. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, Dr. Williams, we have talked about a lot of things today. Um, this has been a fascinating. Um, insight into not only the work that you're doing on the faith side for the Maya Angelou Center um, uh, for Health Equity, but but also with the Triad uh, Pastors Network, for which I, I commend you greatly. Um, you. Is, is there something that you would like to leave um, our listeners with today that you think is something that is so very important to you personally that could benefit them in a meaningful way? Uh, yes, um, I have spent uh, my life's work on faith engagement, uh, and maybe there's somebody today uh, that's um, entertaining, has a desire or a passion uh, to move forward in um, faith engagement. Um, I want to just say uh, to you that uh, there is a science to faith engagement. And I want to just offer um, four quick concepts for you to consider if you're <clears throat> thinking about faith engagement. First of all, you have to make sure that you understand protocol. For mm. Whoever it is that's trying to do faith engagement, there is such thing as a protocol. For example, if you are a person in academia and you would like to interface, say you have a colleague at work who is a part of a local church and you say, I want to do a faith engagement event. What I need the person to understand is although you may originate that um, idea with the coworker, to not understand that it must ultimately land at the desk of the pastor or the faith leader is a huge misstep. Uh, because what that will do is cause uh, minefields for you to go off before you even get started, right? right? You want that pastor or that faith leader to embrace you as someone who understands the process of um, this protocol. Like uh, I, I, I recently read some literature around uh, 10 steps to uh, uh, engaging um, uh, a health and wellness ministry in your local church. And they said, step number one, the pastor. <laughs> in other words, I don't care what you're doing. You need to understand that it really 
should have the blessing or endorsement of the leader. We know this is true in corporate America, but sometimes as fundamental as it sounds, we miss that step uh, when we start trying to go over into, um, into the, our, our communities. Number one, uh, the, pro, the protocol is important. And then number two, uh, it's all about knowing about the process, right? So there's a, uh, a process in, in, in engaging the faith community. So for example, you don't go in uh, thinking that you have all the answers. It is a huge misstep. Uh, I learned this, all the literature that I read talks about uh, asset-based collaborations. That process says it starts at ground zero with both parties realizing that each one has a contribution. Uh, and then uh, I think um, the other one is this this concept of a partnership. If you're gonna be in um, a faith engagement, it's about knowing the process. I mean, the partnership, and watch this, that the partnership should ultimately lead to another event or a network partner. Because if you're doing faith engagement for a one and done, you're really doing a disservice to community engagement. Community engagement is really about engaging the community. So yes, you may start out with a simple uh, five minute talk, but the goal is to have other partners in that setting who will say, ah, I know X person or X organization that needs this information also. So uh, it's the one and done concept is an absolute no-no. And then finally, in faith engagement, it is the presence, right? That simply means that if you are going to do real faith engagement, at some point, you got to leave the boardroom and go to the community. And uh, I think that a lot of times we fall short because we have these wonderful concepts created in these planning meetings. But I read this article which said that sometimes in that presence, it, requ it requires uh, research and also uh, uh, inquiry, right? So that you, for example, let me just help someone today, but if you're trying to do faith engagement, sometimes the directory is not your source. Sometimes you have to go into the community, get out of the car, talk to someone and say, listen, where is the real presence in this community. It may be that person who's at a storefront who doesn't even have the resources to have their name listed on the directory, but make no mistake about it. They could be the key to the entry into that community. And so I'm saying, um, if you're going to do real faith engagement, uh, those four um, tenets really are absolute necessities uh, for me. And then I think my closing remarks would be this is that the messenger matters. Uh, and I'm unapologetic when I say that, uh, that there are times when uh, you want to develop uh, relationships, um, the messenger matters. For example, uh, I have found this to be a paramount truth at the Triad Pastors Network. And Dr. Burr says this all the time. Uh, Dr. Williams, the fact that you're a pastor, there are things that you can say to another pastor that I cannot say. 
I cannot say, even though I am the director of the My Angelo Center and I oversee the Triad Pastors Network, she does. Uh, but there is something to be said about the relevancy of the messenger and the message. And so if you're doing faith engagement, uh, one lady asked me one time, she says, so does that mean only a black person can talk to black people? I said, no, but I, I listen, politically uh, correct, I cannot validate that. But what I can tell you is when you have a person that the listener can identify and resonate with, you have what we call instant credibility. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the thing that a lot of times people, they want to dismiss, but it is worth noting, you're going to do real effective faith engagement is knowing how um, to, to maximize the message. And let me just give you one more quick point. And I know my time is up. My, my, my other director uh, over at the uh, ADRC, Dr. Laura Baker, she says, uh, if, if you're going to talk to a bunch of women about breast cancer, <laughs> doctor, <laughs> you'd be well served to have somebody on your team that can resonate with those women um, to be able to make that connection so that you have instant credibility. And I think uh, uh, Brother Trent, that, that sometimes, you know, people tiptoe around the, the, the uncomfortable conversations, but I just simply say, listen, you can work smarter, you can work hard. It's your choice. Me personally, um, you know, I try to work smart. That's all. You know, Dr. Laura Baker is a good friend of mine, and I can, I can assure you that I can hear her saying those words to you <laughs> just as you have related them to me. Uh, Dr. Williams, this has been a fascinating uh, conversation that we've had. I think what you've described to me, I think, and for those who are who are listening, is that learning is a lifelong endeavor that none of us, including the experts, can presume that we know what the audience needs to know. Mm -hmm. uh, we have to have a mutual dialogue in order to understand that. Um, and and in order and that sort of lends itself to an asset-based collaboration for the benefit of a community. I mean, that's my takeaway from what you have said today. Right. I couldn't be more privileged um, to have had this opportunity to get to know you today, to have some insight into um, you uh, from your vantage point um, for faith engagement and for what that looks like at the congregational level and more importantly, at the community level. Um, and I look forward to our continuing our uh, and furthering our asset-based collaboration across the communities that we're privileged to serve. So thank you very much. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us for part two of our discussion, the intersection of faith and health in the community. Join us next time as we welcome special guest, Tim Fagan, chaplain with Hospice of the Piedmont for the episode, the intersection of faith and health at end of life. Together, Trent and Tim will thoughtfully discuss how intersections in an individual's life journey not only shape how they live, but also how they die by providing opportunities to engage hope, increase well-being, and overcome fears at end of life. Until then, I'm Ryan Biagini, and this has been the E-Series. <laughs>